on this episode of Attack of the Unsolved Killer Mysteries podcast. Edward Scissorhands tries to solve the crime of Jack the Ripper. We also investigate not why a cult in the middle of nowhere committed ritual suicide, but instead what is up with that ridiculous bandana worn by one of the documentarians. And last, we'll uncover a cannibal and a necrophile who wears women's skin, who has better fashion sense than most of the people in the 70s. All that and more on this episode of Attack, the Unsolved Killer Mysteries Podcast. Mysteries. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer one and all to another episode of attack of the killer podcast i am your host insane mike no i am not robert stack i had you convinced didn't i whoa this is episode 226 that we are calling true crime horror this show we will be discussing horror films that take inspiration from true crime i didn't want to do like biopics for this one i mostly wanted to cover films that were kind of more inspired by or uh continued stories from different true events um, so these are clearly works of fiction and, and do not try to go into the actual historic facts. Uh, if this is your first time listening to our show, let me tell you what Attack of the Killer podcast is all about. We are a horror movie podcast where a group of friends get together. We talk about horror movies within a specific topic. We talk openly and freely as if we're just all hanging out. So there's probably going to be spoilers. Just saying you like the show and you want even more Attack of the Killer podcast in your life, go to jointheattackers.com. At jointheattackers.com, you become you can become an official attacker. I bet you're asking yourself, what does it mean to become an official attacker? Well, what it means to become an official attacker is you become a supporter of the show and you can get all kinds of perks and goodies. By becoming a supporter of the show, you can get an official membership membership card and certificate. You can also get uh, one of Mikey's monsters, which is a drawing I do of you as a monster of my choice. Uh, there are also bonus episodes, special videos, video series such as Killer Critiques and Insane Mike's One, Mo- one Minute Top Ten list. All that and so much more. And you can see all that by going to jointheattackers.com today. Pick the ver- pick from the various tiers to get the goodies that you want to get more killer podcast in your life. All the money goes back into making the show bigger and better for you. So it's just like you're giving yourself money. <laughs> Thanks, you. So again, become an official attacker by going to jointheattackers.com. And now it's time to introduce you to... The podcast crew. I warn you, most of these jokes are about serial killers, but don't worry, they will be properly executed. Yep. Here we go. They say one out of every group of friends has the potential to be a serial killer. That's why he threw Jeff off a cliff just in case it was him. Tad, everybody! This might be the first time you've properly executed anything. <laughs> He once was a serial killer who sat on people's faces until they suffocated. He was known as the Asphyxiator. Jason! (laughs) 
Thanks. Are you saying I have a big butt? I cannot lie. Ah. There was a serial killer loose in his town that only killed good-looking people. So I'm happy to know he's safe. Andy, everybody. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Love you, buddy. <laughs> I, I just killed you like five times in my head. <laughs> that must mean he's good looking. That's oh. right. Five times. Not when I'm done with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Attack of the Killer podcast is sponsored by the amazing streaming service known as Shudder is the Netflix for horror fans with movies, podcasts, series, documentaries, and original programming. Shudder is the horror fans' wet dream. And if you have not signed up yet for Shudder and need more proof, you can try a month of Shudder for free thanks to us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. All you got to do is enter our promo code AOTKP and you can get a free month of Shudder from us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. That sounds really easy. It is easy. Just go there and put in the promo code AOTKP. And why? Because we love you. No. Speaking of love, I would love mu- nothing more but to turn it over to Tad with what we watched. What we watched. All right. Uh, we're here in the new year. And so we're going to be sort of going over what we've watched since we uh, reviewed our 2020. So I'm going to kick it over to Andy. What have you watched? Well, I was able to watch a lot during Christmas break. Um, Not necessarily horror, but I binged Cobra Kai season three. (laughs) You would. Uh, I did too. uh, Loved it. uh, let's see. I also was able to catch Wonder Woman uh, 84. Uh, I did too. You know, uh, in terms of superhero movies, it came across as like, you know, just... I didn't... It was like dry white toast. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I needed. I felt like I needed something more. I mean, it, it was just... Don't get me wrong. I like toast. But it was just... <laughs> it's it's It was just too plain. Um... I ha- I have problems, but I think I'll probably just keep them to myself. Uh, there was. I also have uh, VHS. Uh, I, w- I watched a movie called "Stuff Stephanie Into the Incinerator," Ooh, which trauma movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, weird. Uh, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. With a title like that, hard to believe. I I remember watching it back in the day. I think isn't it like uh, some like S and M couple doing like these weird. Yeah, or they, something. yeah, that's yeah. but they they have like but the whole thing is like just to like fuck with the view with the viewer. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, and it, I was just like, whatever. It fits on this episode because about you know true crime, and this is uh, Andy and Danielle. So hmm. <laughs> the uh, the other one I had was a uh, vinegar syndrome. I watched a movie called Don't Panic about a uh Ouija board experimentation thing go- gone wrong uh it it wasn't bad it was actually kind of hilarious to watch this Alex Winter look alike run around in dinosaur pajamas <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it's it's worth a watch. It's 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 unique. I watched a lot of weird shit. Um, next one I watched was uh, Ghost House, which is nice. Um, uh, it's it's kind of got takes its cues from like a little bit from Poltergeist with a mm-hmm. possessed clown doll, uh, where where this Undertaker used to have this house and. Eh, it's it's different. It's it was on a Scream Factory double feature with Witchery, and I had watched Witchery with David mm. Hasselhoff and Linda Blair. Uh, I just never got around to Ghost House, and I finally got that out of the way. It's it's not bad. It's it's low budget, but you know, it's worth a watch. Perfect double feature. I could not think of another movie that could be paired with that one as well as Witchery. Right. Uh, another one that that I watched, and it's a it's a slasher movie that I I had not seen yet, and it's from 1980. It's called "Don't Answer the Phone; He'll Know You're Alone," and it's just about this Vietnam veteran's uh, serial killer, and he's basically stalking and uh, killing women. It's not hyper violent per se. But the the guy does a really good job of like acting like crazy. He's got like this one like sort of uh, taxi driver esque scene where he's like just talking to nothing, and it's just hilarious. You know how he, how he's like he's got like these delusions of grandeur because he you know he kills all these these women and it sounds uh, like a real laugh riot. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hysterical, but it's um, <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. It's actually pretty damn funny the way he does it. Um, but yeah, it's it's worth a watch if you're into you know old slasher flicks like like I am. Have you guys ever have you guys ever heard of this one? I know the title. I've never seen the movie. No, sir. Nope. Yeah, it's uh, it's from Scorpion releasing, but I think like maybe Arrow released it as well. But anyway, that's that's what I I uh, was gonna talk about. I will pass it over to whoever. I guess I'll pass it to Tad because he's doing the passing. Yeah, it's my <laughs> segment. All right, buddy. Um, let's go over to Mike. What did you watch? Okay, well, he already brought up Wonder Woman 84. We watched that on New Year's. And, um, you know, again, like I said, I have my issues with it. Um, So I'll talk about what we watched on Christmas Day. We did a nice, great, fun movie marathon on Christmas Day. So we started with Home Alone. Got to start with that, which oddly has a connection to um, a movie in this this episode of the show. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, then we watched Elf and we followed that up with, cause like, I think I annoyed Brandy the whole time of like shouting out trivia about Elf through the whole movie. So we ended up having to watch the movies that made us episode on Elf where I got most of my trivia from. <laughs> I watch it too with the Chiotos, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a great episode. Cause you, you, you'll learn a lot about what they did with a lot of those forced perspective shots. Uh, with him him against the elves, which is awesome. <clears throat> um, and then we followed it up with, which might become one of my new Christmas traditions uh, for films, is a documentary called Jingle Bell Rocks, which is a which is a movie I I was just obsessing about this documentary. I'd seen it a f- uh, like three or four times now. 
and I was obsessing about it on Christmas Day, telling Brandy about it, and uh, she got all excited. So luckily, we found it um, on on Amazon, and it's a documentary because it used to be on Hulu, and then they took it off. And I'm like, oh, I'll never find it again. I found it on Amazon, and um, it's a documentary about people who collect Christmas music. Like just obsessively collecting Christmas music, like going through every bin in some like, you know, mom, pa record store, you know, in boxes of LPs shoved underneath the uh, table and just digging through looking for, for, um, you know, just any and all Christmas music, but the, the more obscure and the weirder, the better. And there's actually some really kick-ass music in the, in the uh, movie as well. Um, it's you know it's like two or three different like music collectors and and kind of following them around as they you know are trying to collect christmas music and you know the the filmmaker is kind of the main focus of the of the uh documentary it's it's just it's just a cool documentary especially if if you're a person that likes to collect you know music uh physical media music and then we followed that up with Greasy Strangler because I finally got her to watch Greasy Strangler. Um, Perfect it, Christmas movie. Exactly. And, well, it was a deal. Like um, She would watch Greasy Strangler if we would rewatch again for the 100th time Microwave Massacre. So we followed Greasy Strangler up with Microwave <laughs> Massacre, which was awesome. And that is very fitting to Christmas because uh, John Vernon is the voice of Frosty the Snowman, the star of Microwave Massacre. Anyway, that's what I watched on Christmas. All right. I guess that leaves you, Jason. What have you watched? Uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but after the super crunch of the trying to fit in all them movies for 2020, I, there was a part of me that just about forgot to watch new stuff. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, that that between that and all the football. But anyway, um, I definitely... Uh, watched Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas, and I think y'all are crazy. It's pretty great. I like it a lot. Kristen Wiig in anything is awesome, and thought she was great. It was uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, but the other one I watched, I had a freaking super blast with. Um, it is on HBO Max. Uh, the BGs. How can you mend a broken heart? I've heard that's really good. Yeah, it was damn good. It's directed by Frank Marshall, and it's like an hour and fifty minutes of awesomeness. I mean, I was hap- I was pr- I could proudly say even before I freaking love the Bee Gees, and and even more now than ever. So they're they're amazing, and I learned so much. I mean, it really is educational, and definitely gives you all the feels. It is fantastic. Really great doc. That's what I watched. Someone asked me. Yo, Ted. I watched a whole lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm going to blast through it. I don't even remember the last time we did what we watched. So I'm going to start with <laughs> my uh, holiday watches. I watched the Creep Show holiday special, which yep. is a blast with Adam Pauly. Um, I watched Happiest Season on Hulu, which is a uh, Kristen Stewart and um, Aubrey Plaza. And it has just so many uh, lovely actresses in it. It's a um, lesbian Christmas um, romance comedy. Uh, really, really good. Really funny. Um, I watched Sound of Metal where the, uh, you talked about it on yeah, the previous cool. episode. It's fan. I thought you had seen it. Had you seen it? The sound of- Was that me? 
I, someone had watched it. Maybe that's not. But the drummer that's uh, losing That goes deaf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's on Prime, and holy shit, that's great. That will be up for several Oscars. Um, it might be a little too close to home for you, Jason. might scare the shit out of you <laughs> if you haven't seen it. I haven't. But uh, basically, this dude in like a hardcore band um, one day is setting up merch with his band, and he can't hear anymore, so he goes to the doctor oh. and... He's also a recovering um, heroin addict, so he is struggling not to jump back on that, and it just sort of tells his journey of trying to regain his hearing and what um, what his hearing means to him as a musician, and uh, really, really great movie. Um, uh, jumping to the next one is the opposite end of the spectrum, A Recipe for Seduction, starring Mario Lopez as the Colonel Sanders. Oh my God, that <laughs> Lifetime movie? Yes, it's fantastic. Uh, the best 15-minute Lifetime movie you'll watch after you listen to this. Um, that is insane. <laughs> it's actually very tongue-in-cheek. It knows what it's doing. It's, it's, I would hope so. It, it's actually pretty well-made, and uh, I have mad love for like what Lifetime's doing because those guys crank out like 100 movies a year, and they employ all these people and from craft services to grips to everybody, uh, yeah. and, and they you know keep a town in canada alive for year round just because <laughs> making these movies so good for them um yeah watched a classic silent night deadly night with my man colby key from the gore score and he jumped on my podcast and we talked about it um i've re- i visited the black christmas new blumhouse 2019 version for the first time hmm. uh interesting i did not really enjoy the supernatural element but otherwise i enjoyed the performances and thought it was a interesting twist on that story I watched a Muppet Family Christmas, my favorite uh, of the Muppet Christmas specials because it's a crossover with Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock, and that is fucking awesome. Something (laughs) I've watched. And you can watch it on YouTube with all of the original commercials from its original airing in 1987. Uh, So it's so cool to watch with the commercials. Um, then of course I watched the 20 or 2006 Black Christmas, um, another great, fantastic christmas horror movie i love i love all you know all of them are good uh i obviously loved uh the original the most but i Mm -hmm. i do enjoy the 2006 version i watched uh the other bob clark or is it uh bob clark yeah a christmas story yep from 83 i watched the chiodo's new movie alien xmas on netflix um that was a whole lot of fun uh really cool stop motion alien christmas story from our friends that were behind Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Watch it just so that uh, Netflix will make a new uh, movie yeah. with them. Mm, yeah. Uh, Krampus, watch that one. Always a yearly tradition. Watch Home Alone again. Um, can't say enough. I, I am in love with that movie. I'll watch it every year until I'm dead. I watched uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I watched uh, Pixar's new movie, Soul. It did not make me cry like I thought it would, but it was still really, really good. Um, a very deep story about a musician trying to find his uh, meaning to life. And uh, yeah, fantastic. I watched Amazon's new movie, Uncle Frank, which I thought was really, really fantastic. It has Paul Bettany and Sophia Lillis. Sophia was the redhead from uh, the new It movies. And uh, I could see her being up for some awards in this. She plays like a college student who grew up with 
a uncle that she absolutely loved. And when she goes to college, he's a professor there. She finds out that he's gay. And um, this is set, I think, in like the uh, 70s. So it was not as, you know, openly accepted now. So when she finds out her uncle's gay, it sort of flips everything on its head. And a very, very good story. Not horror at all. So I'll move on. Um, I watched... The Owners, so Dustin Neal will be happy I off his list. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I think it's on Hulu now. And I watched Death to 2020 on Netflix. It's a mockumentary about how shitty the year 2020 was. Uh, it's very funny. And I watched Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny for the first time. Ooh. So I got that off the oh, list. Wow. Yeah. So um, all 50 of those movies you are watched what I watched. everything. Yeah. Oh, and I watched uh, Cobra Kai, and I watched we're on the last episode of the new Saved by the Bell reboot on Peacock. I highly recommend that if you're a fan of the original Saved by the Bell. It is a blast. Nice. And and I've been getting through the new season of Sabrina. Almost done with that too. So <laughs> I did, did a lot of sitting. Go to work. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, I didn't actually. I got uh, I get two days off for Christmas, two days off for New Year, so I had two four day weekends in a row. I, was, I also want to add that uh, me and the wife watched Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas as well. It's a good one. Nice. Yep. Nice. I just mostly stuck with what I watched on Christmas Day, but I, I want to throw this one out here because it just popped in my head. Have you guys seen any of the episodes of the new Korean horror series on Netflix called Sweet Home? It looks batshit crazy. It huh. is batshit crazy. Um. Uh, Brandy got me hooked on it. Uh, she started watching it and then told me about it. So we started back over from episode one. We haven't gotten through it all yet because we'll start it when it's late and we fall asleep and you have to pay attention because it's all subtitled. But the creatures in it, it's 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 almost like a zombie show. But instead of becoming zombies when you get infected, you become you, your bodies just like morph into these like weird contortions of like monsters, but yet still kind of in human form. But like, there's this one, uh, this one that uh, was attacking these, these kids through their window of their apartment. It was a giant eyeball that was on a, this like super long extended neck with just a regular human body at the end of it. And the, they cut the neck off and the body's still moving around. So it's like, you can, um, you can like you can't kill these things either. That's the the craziest part about it. But oh, just I just love the look of these monsters in this show and the way they move. I mean, it's it's CGI'd, but um, I think it works to its advantage because there's an unnatural flow to the movement of these things that you know kind of harkens back to like you know shaky ghosts. Kind of, so you know, kind of stuff. So, but. so it's basically kind of like the Frankenhooker parts coming out of the freezer and attacking you. Right? Kinda, but the, but it's it's still so beyond supernatural in the fact that it's it's a human body morphing into this thing. But like more like fantasy. Yeah, way more. It's definitely way more fantasy because there's no physical way that a human body can morph into what some of these creatures look like. There's just not enough mass to go from a normal human size to like the seven foot hulking creature and stuff like that. It looked like a uh, Tokyo gore police to me. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's quite as gory as Tokyo Gore Police, and there's definitely a, a lot more drama. It's like they, it's like they tried to do stuff like Tokyo Gore Police, but add in more of the drama that you get out of Walking Dead. But I, what I've seen so far, I recommend it. I'll have to give you guys an update if we get get around to finishing it. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so now uh, you guys at home have a voice, can have a voice on the show. Um, you can do that by taking our poll. You guys are in a position to cast your vote in our poll. Now, if only we had a name for this. Um, let me think. I know tally time. How about tally time? Pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if that works. Okay. Oh, duh. The answer was right in front of me all along. I feel dumb. Here's Jason with position poll. Uh, I don't, I still think it's close. I don't think that's it. Uh, I give up. Just go with poll position then. From now on. Like your parents were, you are the secret force of pole position. All right, pole position. Yes, that's way better, Mike. Okay, so on this uh, episode of pole position, uh, we are asked the question, who to you is your most fascinating serial killer? Who, who do you, who are you drawn to? What, who, not that there's a, not a favorite, but like. Who do you find the most interesting? Mike, you go first. Well, mine's going to be boring and obvious because if you've listened to the show at any <laughs> length of time. Rapper Keeper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, when I was in high school, I had a picture of Ed Gein on my Trapper Keeper, how I did not end up in counseling or expelled from school. It was the 80s. They didn't give a shit back then. Um, but yes, so I'm going to go with my most obvious answer, the the one I've always been the most fascinated with, and that is Ed Gein. I think just because like he's inspired so many great movies, though. That would be your why you're drawn to him? The biggest why. That and there's like I, I'm not excusing anything the man has done. He's he's a monster, but there's also like this like innocence about him that he I just don't there was that part of his brain that was missing that had a complete disconnect of what he was doing wasn't uh right that he what didn't realize he was doing anything wrong huh yeah that definitely is comes across in in the movies about him too and yeah all right well i'll go next uh for me it's uh i guess he was my gateway serial killer um as a kid and i i don't know i gateway just to what i know just just you know we all have gone through the phase of researching and looking into serial killers and all that. And, and when, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer came on the scene, he was the one for me, the, the Milwaukee cannibal, the Milwaukee monster, they say it was like, I don't know. It was the, my first introduction to cannibalism. Um, and just, just his story is crazy. And you know, he, he was, he's a pretty big deal at the time. So, well, within our lifetime, I mean, obviously, yeah, you and I, um, were around during the Manson stuff, but obviously too young to know to have any recollection or pay attention to it. So, I feel like Dahmer is like the one within our lifetime that we saw in our face on the news and 
uh, you know, on the tabloids and the newspaper and stuff. It was like, it was like the first killer that was for us anyway, that, you know, was really in the spotlight that was, that was in the news and whatnot. Yep. That was, he was sentenced in February of 1992. So for us, it was the end of high school and yeah. Yep. And got his brains caved in two years later. Yep. Yep. Sure did. All right, uh, Tad. Who's just, who are you? What about you? Um, I think I was yeah, like when we talked about doing this, I was very clear about <laughs> saying uh, favorite because this guy is the to me the biggest monster of all time. Um, I'm going with Albert Fish, and I yeah. uh, I yeah. did a lot of research on him when I was I think in like high school or college, and we we're is like you said, everybody sort of goes through a true crime phase, and this guy kept popping up, and he's also I think uh, featured briefly in Captain Spaulding's uh, Murder Ride, but yep, mm-hmm. this yep. guy is totally fucked. I mean, he was a cannibal, a rapist. Um, and he targeted children in the 30s, 20s and 30s. And uh, uh, beyond that, he also was very much into self-mutilation. Um, they did some x-rays of him, and he had 29 needles lodged in his pelvic region. He Jesus. would um, put wool doused with lighter fluid into his ass and set it on fire. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. and My biscuits are burning. Yeah, he was just not there man and he would you know eat children and uh like i remember you know i think uh ed gein was like everybody sort of like uh you know oh man he's the guy who's inspired a million horror movies and he ate people and did this stuff and then i read about albert fish and i'm like god ed gein would probably be scared of this guy like he's a whole nother level right doing it to kids is a whole different thing and uh and yeah i don't know it's just there's not any kind of good thing about this guy uh he yeah i mean he he said he uh during his trial that he murdered a kid in every state which people don't know if that's ever true or not which uh yeah. and he said that he murdered over 100 kids and uh ate several of them and yeah just a true piece of shit but uh mm-hmm. you know his story is just uh mind-blowing i think it's just so unbelievable that is why it's always been so fascinating to me but uh and i'm not trying to steal your thunder here tad but there's also that letter he wrote to the family of the girl that he ate mm-hmm. and it's just it's so it's so disgusting. It's so just reprehensible just to, to, you know, what he, he tells what he did to this little girl and Ugh. he just wrote, wrote it back to this family. And it's just, it's, it's fucking sick. Yeah. Great. It's bud. disgusting. Yeah. All right, Andy, what about you? Um, <clears throat> the one that I find very fascinating is John Wayne Gacy um here you have like just a a typical midwestern kid he he was an effeminate boy and his dad was an alcoholic and his dad just you know anything that he ever did was never good enough for his dad you know his dad would just beat the piss out of him and um he was you know i think he was probably obviously homosexual you know growing up but he didn't want to admit it because that would just be another failure to his father and then he gets a, <clears throat> then he gets his head bumped on a swing. So I mean, 
you've got a con you've got like a perfect like this psychological cocktail of brain trauma and this you know cycle of abuse and this self-loathing because he he just won't he will not admit that he's a homosexual and this led him to like i think that really led him to just spiral out of control and you know a lot of people know you know there's like 33 you know bodies of dead essential rape victims in the crawl space of his house in in chicago but another thing that i find very fascinating is uh he had this this very big drive for he he wanted acceptance you know so because he was always you know he ran restaurants and he was part of the jc's he was very involved politically uh in uh, in the democratic you know party he this this is a this is a serial killer who you know he moonlighted at night by either uh kidnapping you know young boys off the street by posing as a police officer you know raping and killing them burying them in his basement and then during the day he'd be getting t pictures taken with rosalind carter the first lady you know and then aside from that you know he'd go out kill at night kill and rape at night you know bury a body in his basement and then the next day he'd be dressed up as a clown at a children's hospital entertaining you know sick children and another thing that I pointed out when I read this book, uh, The Man Who Killed Boys, uh, this character, Pogo the Clown, um, that when they uh, put the, the, the smile on, they paint the smile on, on the, on the grease paint, it's supposed to have round edges. So as it's not to, you know, frighten, you know, because it almost looks like teeth, you know, if, if you don't, you know, if you put them up to a point. He never had round edges around his mouth. They were always up to a point. So, I mean, it's just like it, it you know, reading that just made like the image as if it wasn't creepy enough. Just, you know, reading that and seeing the actual pictures of Gacy in all the grease paint. And you just see like all these pointed edges on his smile. And, you know, just you see him waving, you know, it's just like it just. It's, it's a very eerie feeling to, you know look at him after reading that because you know professional clowns say you know you got to have round edges every one of the pictures that was ever taken of him has a point to his mouth anyway that's my two cents on gacy did you see the biopic gacy starring um chubby from the teen wolf movies uh yes i've seen that one and i also saw to catch a killer with brian dennehy and it scared the living shit out of me when i was 10 years old <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, that's um, pole position. Uh, you, like Mike said, can take part in the show and get your butts over to Twitter at AOTKP and vote for who you think picked the best one. Who's your not favorite, but who 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 you interested in in these crazy psychos? Yeah, that's pole position. Sweet man. After that discussion, I'm like. Uh -huh. And I was second guessing this topic, starting the new year off with this, this dark topic. And now I'm really second guessing it, but we sally forth. So it's films time here on the show. Andy, what's our first film we're going to discuss for a true crime horror? Well, let me first 
start this off by saying the attackers are the men who will not be blamed for nothing. Our first film comes from 2001 and it's called From Hell. Inspector, I know your reputation for making brilliant guesses that turn out to be right. Someone told me you claim to dream the answers. Sometime this evening, a bang tail was murdered in George Yard. That doesn't sound much out of the ordinary. It was the way she was done, Inspector. It was the way that she was done that cries out for a man of your talent. He can foresee the victims. I saw her. I saw her face. Your vision's about me. Most definitely. You know, they used to burn men like you alive. He could sense the suspects. He must be someone with money. And how do you know that? This ain't killing for profit. This is ritual. But for an inspector in charge of the world's most infamous investigations. He's punishing them. I want double shifts within this area. You'll have mayhem on the streets. I believe this was done by someone with a working knowledge of dissection. An educated man, that's preposterous. The last thing he expected. I want you and your friends off the streets until I can sort this thing out. I do trust you. Was to get close to someone who would be next. Jack the Ripper's not finished. Where is he? I want him. see the 20th century. This film is by the Hughes Hughes brothers, which is a step away from them because you know you you you're used to seeing them uh, making direct, right and direct, um, you know, urban crime dramas like Menace to Society and uh, Dead Presidents. They also did Book Book of Eli, uh, but this this particular film is based on the graphic novel from Alan Moore, and some of you. Well, you get you should know him because he's responsible for some of the best graphic novels of you know the past here, forty years. Here comes comic book nerd Mike. Uh, I, I agree with that. <laughs> you've got Watchmen. You've got V for Vendetta. He wrote uh, for Constantine his, Swamp Thing. Yeah, his run on Swamp uh, Thing is still the pinnacle run of that of of any Swamp Thing comic. And uh, yeah, I just got like the big omnibus in today, oh, so yeah, nice. it's it's. I'm looking at it right now. It, it this always happens. I always have a podcast when some like really cool shit comes in. I've got to talk to you bozos for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's uh, get back on track here. Uh, from hell. <clears throat> excuse me. It's in 1980. Excuse me, 19. 
1888 London. Uh, it's in the district of Whitechapel, which is like the poorest in this, really the shittiest part of, it, part of the city. Uh, prostitutes are forced to work the streets in order to eat and basically have shelter, you know, among the everyday, also among the everyday threats they have to face, you know, turning, you know, tricks. They also have to pay for, for protection from the Nickel Street gang, you know, to keep their asses from being beat, which if they don't pay, they get their asses beat, which is, yeah, catch 22. To add to their problems, a prostitute named Anne is kidnapped, and they are linked to a conspiracy uh, that uh, that goes all the way to the royal family. Um, after the kidnapping, uh, prostitutes begin to be systematically slaughtered and mutilated in brutal fashion. Inspector Frederick Aberline, played by Johnny Depp, is assigned to the case. His partner, Peter Godley, played by Robbie Coltrane, does his best to assist Abilene and keep him off the opium as body, bodies begin to pile up. Uh, the premise of this story is that Prince Albert of the royal family has had a child with the gal that has been kidnapped, and he's also contracted syphilis from her, and he's basically slowly losing his mind. The problem is we don't see this happen during the film. Uh, we just basically see him getting laid, and then they cart him away. Um, the, I, uh, the, the atmosphere of this film is really good, but according to history, I've, I've got, I've got some problems. Uh, this, <laughs> I, I, I do. I, it's, uh, first of all, I'm, uh, Heather Graham was miscast. I mean, I like her in other stuff, but she was not supposed to be in this movie. Um, well, first of all. I don't buy her as Irish. That well, exactly. That hair look was like so unnaturally red. Well, that and it was too. It looked too damn good. She's a prostitute oh, yeah, who has to live on the street. She's too clean. She's too. You know, it's just like they they were selling us eye candy in a situation where there is no. There's not supposed to be eye candy. Okay. Yeah, the, I mean, you the, got a point because like. All the other, all the other uh, prostitutes in this movie are rather homely looking. Yes, except for her. Yes, yes, her exactly. I mean, she's 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 top of the line. What would uh, uh, she would be like a blue chip, as DiCaprio would say in The Wolf of Wall Street, um, compared to the, you know the Nasdaqs. Um, but another thing, this. Uh, theory of this uh this surgeon who's part of the freemasons are he's he's a freemason surgeon that's killing he's basically jack the ripper and he's responsible for the Whitechapel murders you know and the the royal family sanctioned all these murders to cover up prince albert's you know mistake so, you know, this this child, you know, that's not born of royal ilk or whatever, they need to cover this up. And so they hire the Freemasons and this psycho doctor to to kill all these prostitutes. But I I really have a problem with this because, you know, you've already had your goons round up one prostitute and made her disappear. Why not just keep doing that? Okay, why would you ask 
a 70-something physician who just had a stroke to go carry her out murders. That does that, that, that I don't I don't get that plot like at all. Um they said that this theory was first suggested in I did a little research, bear with me. Um the theory was first suggested in a 1976 novel uh Jack the Ripper the Final Solution by a guy named uh Stephen Knight. Um and he was also assisted by an English painter by by the name of Walter Sickert. Uh, it turns, uh, but in the information that he got this from was a guy named Joseph Gorman, who claimed to be Sickert's Ill- illegitimate son. Later on, Gorman came forth and said, "Yeah, that's all bullshit. I made it up." Um, Patricia Cornwell also made uh, wrote a book called Jack the Ripper: uh, Case Closed, and she believes that Sickert was responsible for um for the murders but people aren't convinced of that either um yeah it's just the the whole the whole william goal which was the uh always the, the, the freemasons Roy- yeah the oil the the yeah the freemason surgeon the royal the royal surgeon played by ian holm who played uh wasn't he bilbo in lord of the rings yep yeah um yeah, I just I just don't buy that. It's also said the beginning quote uh it was like never said that be, the 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 quote in the beginning of the movie it's from the Alan Moore novel. I mean, yeah, it works for the novel, but he you know, when you put it up there just as a quote, like Jack the Ripper said it, people are going to think that he actually said that shit. But he never wrote that in any of the letters. He said that uh, people, men will look back and say that I gave birth to the 20th century. Yeah, never said that. It was in the novel, but he never said that in like any of the letters that he wrote to the police. Um, because this isn't a documentary. Well, uh, this is just a fantasized version, and that's why it's okay. I, right? I, okay, I will. I will. I will just. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a little. I'm a bit of a. I've read a lot of books on this. Is just what yeah. I'm saying. So I mean, I was glad I was chosen for this. <laughs> um, R- the Ripper is kind of like the OG of writing letters to the press, too. I mean, Zodiac just made it look cooler. Um, from Hell, our title is actually from the letter he sent to George Lusk, who was leader of a vigilante committee, and it was authenticated because he was said he would cut out the kidney from uh one of his victims and with that letter came part of a kidney um the original canonical five of these prostitutes that were killed was the first one was marianne nichols the second was annie chapman uh the second one the the third and fourth one which uh took place on the same night 15 minutes away from each other which which is why they believe he had an accomplice was Elizabeth Stride, also known as Long Liz, and Catherine Eddowes. The last one, Mary Jane Kelly, who was actually murdered, not Heather Graham's character who snuck off to Ireland with the illegitimate kid. Um, Yeah, Mary Jane Kelly literally looked like she jumped on a grenade. That's how bad she was just mutilated in this room. She just, it was just, it was just horrific. Also, Aberline was middle-aged and balding. He was not an alcoholic or a druggie in real life. He did not see visions. And Alan Moore 
has uh, gone on quote and saying, yeah, he didn't dress like a dandy, and if he had a haircut like that, basically the London police probably would have kicked the shit out of him. Anyway, I'm foaming at the mouth here. You guys go ahead. <laughs> well, real quick, did you ever read Alan Moore's book? I haven't had a chance, but I, I did not read The Final Solution either, but I did read Patricia Cornwell's book, uh, Case Closed, and her assumption was that the paper used on the authenticated letters from the Ripper to uh, the police and the press matched like the fibers from Sickert's personal collection. And he also did paintings that were eerily reminiscent of ripper crime scenes and he had like literally no way of being able to see these uh crime scenes so and yes i would i would love to read alan moore's yeah i was just curious i've never read it either but i've just always been under the assumption of like this is you know because from hell at the end of the day is a comic book so i well yeah graphic novel okay (laughs) calm down um, but I just always been under the assumption and I may be wrong. Like this is just Alan Moore's fanfic of, of the Jack the Ripper story. Like, uh, how Tarantino retells history. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's his version of the, the Royal physician killing these these women you know because this royal physician later on you know after the last murder he i think he went into a mental asylum he eventually you know he he went away so it's it's from the final solution and the also the 1988 uh ripper miniseries with Michael Caine, they basically follow the the same storyline. It was a very popular theory until, of course, Gorman came out and said, yeah, I, I didn't even, I made all that shit up. <laughs> I figured when he asked you if you had read the novel yet, you were going to say, well, no, I got a really awesome copy of it. I'm looking right at it. I, <laughs> I had to record this podcast, so I can't read it. <laughs> no, no, uh yeah, it, it's it's I have uh, other other books that they're upstairs in my library, but I um, I can't I don't know who I can't fire them off the top of my head. But I know I've read the Patricia Cornwell book, and yeah, there were many many um, uh, suspects out there that are that are very popular, and yeah, I mean it's it's just one of those really really romanced. Uh, cases i mean it's they think of it as it was like this great romantic time but in reality it was it was it was such a huge uh gap in between classes because there was an industrial revolution during the time in in london and you know you were either you know a freaking baller up here or you were just dirt ass poor there was really no middle class and the the really dirt poor you know lived in whitechapel and there was there's there's been other theories about you know the people who couldn't even afford to live in whitechapel were living in the sewers 
in the London underground. And that speculated how most of the time the Ripper was able to get away through these, you know, these catacombs under underneath London. So from hell, Jason, what'd you think of the movie? Well, I was, <laughs> uh, no, it, I, I know I had to have seen it when it came out. Didn't we see this in the theater together? You know, you're probably right. Cause I mean, I remembered it, but watching it again, I'm like, man, this is, this is really cool. It has such a amazing comic book look and style to it. That's uh, really cool. I mean, you know, you could nowadays you could damn near call it Tim Burton-y in its gothicness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought yeah. that was really cool about and, it. And, and its depthness. In its depthness, exactly. Um, I I see what you're saying about Heather Graham, but I thought she's great, and and you know it's a yeah, it's a neat little fan fiction version of what could have happened, I guess. And I don't know it. I thought it was neat that there someone wrote answers to all the questions, you know, and made us made it make sense. In a way that could have made sense. Well, it's funny you sort of say that like Tim Burton thing because this came out like 2001, yeah. right around that time where he was in, um, where Depp was in um, Sleepy Hollow, Hollow. And yeah. it's very much that mm. same sort of yeah. uh, era Definitely. and that look of Depp and that look of the film where not quite as stylized as a Tim Burton movie, but definitely yeah. of its time. Um, you know, we got Hagrid in here uh, with. Uh, <laughs> Coltrane, I'm like, oh, that's Haggard, you know, as soon as I saw yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but I remember thinking this came out when I was a freshman in high school. So it was like, uh, you know, thought it was totally badass. I was just getting into horror and this was a new movie. And, you know, Heather Graham was awesome from Boogie Nights and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> and Depp at the time was in his prime. You know, everybody loved a good Johnny Depp movie. So you got um, all addicted to absence, yeah. you know, just. Exactly. Exactly. Didn't he just blow like, uh, well, maybe not literally blow, but the movie, but he did blow about a year earlier, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I just remember, I actually have a physical copy of this from when our blockbuster closed down, if that says anything, (laughs) uh, a DVD copy. But I, I remember this was like one of the earlier true crimes style movies I saw. And, and of course, um, obviously, you know, Jack the Ripper, everybody uh, yeah. who ever got into true crime um, yeah. has read about that. Cause there's very few super famous murderers that uh, got away with it. You know, that we never, they never caught. And that's what makes them so fascinating. So uh, having a cool story about that stylized with uh, actors and, and stuff like this was right up my alley at the time. It's a little aged now, but I still enjoyed it. And uh, I still oh, yeah. appreciate the time period and the, the, cause this, these movies usually bore the hell out of me. I usually hate um, <laughs> Victorian era. I think Mike uh, would agree with that. Movies. Me I do. I usually just fucking hate them. I'll be honest. And uh, this is a rare exception. Yeah. It's a rare exception yeah. that keeps me interested. So it has uh, bonus points for that. They they really knocked it out of the park with the atmosphere and just the well some shots look right off of the comic book page it's beautiful it's it's a yeah it's well it's well shot and it just it just looks really good but Mike well I I was gonna say like I I'm, I'm on the same page as Tad with that stuff I I, I even said that to Brandy last night when we were watching <laughs> this like I don't normally and I don't normally like period films 
you know, Victorian age and whatnot. Um, if you want to punish Mike, let's go watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, oh man, Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, because they are pretty boring. But um, but I think, and I always I always crack, crack the joke to people too that the reason why I don't like that stuff because I obsess about hygiene. And all I can think about is where are they going to the bathroom? Where are they Every, taking showers at? Where's everybody the indoor has to plumbing? stink. Yeah, anywhere they can. Exactly right. Oh, bad. But I think it's. But I realized. I think last night, especially, I realized it's more than that. I mean, I'll keep saying that joke, but uh, <laughs> right. But it's more than that. I think it's. I have such a disconnect. Like if I watch a movie from, from like you know that takes place in the fifties. I mean, yes, I wasn't alive in the fifties, but there's still, there, it's still a society that I can kind of sort of relate to you know as far as technology and and what was going on at the times but that's just too far back for me it's so disconnected from what i know that i that it's hard for me that's what makes it hard for me to watch is i'm just so disconnected from all the characters and then especially add on add on accents to that um (laughs) I'm, i'm i'm done but this film yes i mean i saved it for last out of the three films because of those reasons but it it's it's like what uh what you guys were saying it's visually captivating um i i definitely got into the story cuz the whole jack the ripper true crime thing and I, I i love alternate takes on on historical event, events and whatnot and especially with this being an unsolved crime you know you know kind of get you thinking on 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 different theories and whatnot uh but uh and you know and the cast is great you know i mean i I still love Johnny Depp. I don't care how much people think he's played out. I will still watch him in anything. Mike and, does not care yeah. how many women he beats. Let it be clear. He loves Johnny Depp. Well, I care about that. He doesn't care if he is Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie's also freaking gruesome. It's got some great effects, and that obviously oh, yeah. will keep yeah. me interested. That one freaking neck slice oh, fuck. where you're just where wow. they just pull her head back and you're like it's not one of those where like the effect is right there. They fake a they fake a slice and she leans back and then blood spurts out with a perfectly gaping wound. No. You see the flesh oh. rip apart as her head goes back oh. and it's disgusting. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. Yeah. So the fact that they did not hold back from the gore aspect from this too is awesome. So so I like this movie. Is it going to be one that I will watch it again anytime soon? No, because I haven't watched it, obviously, since I saw it in the theater. This is the first time seeing it since then. 20 years but, ago, almost. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, But still, it's a it's a great film. Great film. Well-directed. Um, there's little things that... There's just little things that I was digging on. Like, there's that one um, weird transition shot where it's close up on grapes, but you're seeing blood throw, flow through it, and they're beating like hearts. I thought that was really cool. It was a really cool imagery. Mm. Um, so a lot of cool stuff like that, and and just how dark you know, for especially this being like a Hollywood film, right? This being so yep. dark and disgusting and gross, and really, I feel like it um, captures a lot of the uh, um, what it was actually like during that era. You can also tell how far crime scene investigation has come because there was like a time lapse with that like that first murder. I think like 127 people like walked through that crime scene just while that dead oh, yeah. that dead hooker yeah. was on the ground. You're well, just like, what the hell are these people doing? And what's cool is they tell you that again through imagery, like that it's that cool shot of where the dead body's laying there perfectly still, and 
it's showing in in fast speed of of you know the police coming up and then people yeah. walking through the scene and more police coming up. You know, God knows hours and hours of people walking back and forth yeah. before the head investigator shows up yeah, to uh, just contaminating the living shit out. Exactly, of I totally picked up on that the second they did that shot, and um, was, you know, it was a great, great way of of um. You ever notice? And I almost thought this. I I dug it when I first saw the movie, but the second time around, I thought it was just like, okay, this is getting a little hokey. You ever notice, like, when um, Ian Holm is doing his thing, you know, when he see, when you see him as the Ripper, he's got, like, those blackout eye lenses on? Yeah. You know, I was just oh, like, okay, it, I, I didn't know how I felt about that the second time around. Yep. It was just like, okay, yes, it does make him look more sinister, but, I mean, he's, he's, but, right. he's just a... <laughs> He's not a demon. He's I mean, a he's just yeah. a regular man. It's you the, know, there's there's one episode, the there's one not episode, but there's one part in the movie where he's talking to Johnny Depp, and and Depp is on to him, and it's so blatant. You know, you, he closes his eyes as like kind of like a sigh, and then he opens them again, and they're like just the whole those his eyeballs are just like jet black, and I'm just like, oh god, that's what the ring will do to you. <laughs> Me wants it. <laughs> So I I only really have one gripe, and I knew something was wrong, but until Tina pointed it out, this might be like the worst poster of all the fucking posters. I hate it. Oh, it's just a it's, it's just one of those shittiest. faces, you know, pretty faces posters. Yes. That's all it is. This poster oh, sucks. I can't. It's from that era, man. Yep. Where 90s. all where posters were just like the actor's faces on a poster. Yeah. Because that's that's all that sells your movie. Stupid. Um, I'm surprised it wasn't from Johnny Depp's backside, and he's looking over his shoulder. <laughs> you know th- that kind of you know that kind of pose. Yep, that's the Avengers poster. Abigail is on the case. Luckily, they avoided that uh, that sort of habit of that time of like inserting like new metal music into old movies. Oh yeah, thank God. Yeah. So oh they no, kept... we got that at the end credits. A Marilyn yeah, Manson song. I'll... Yeah, we did, but they avoided it during the movie, so that's okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I, that's that's my big one of my biggest pet peeves is when they don't put when they put like a rap song in like uh, a Victorian or whatever movie Something that doesn't like, match in any way. Exactly, right. Tarantino did that in Django, and I'm just like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, do you have something else? No, that's great. That's pretty good. Sweet. Okay, Tad, what's the what's our next movie we're going to discuss? Our next movie is pretty deranged because it's <laughs> deranged. This is where the worst begins. This is where we must stop. For beyond is the work of madness. Death! The nightmare of insane murder and lingering death. Deranged. For Mary, it was only the beginning. For Christine, it was already too late. For Dolly, the worst was yet to come. And only Mrs. Cobb knew what he would do next. I really love you, Mary. Ah! 
Sometimes you don't want to believe what you see, but sometimes it's true. The story of a trail of butchery so brutal that newspapers refuse to print its horrifying details. When the horror becomes unbearable, it is too late to scream. Okay, Deranged, also known as Deranged Confessions of a Necrophile, released in 1974, directed by Jeff Gillen and Alan Omsby, written by Alan Omsby. It is about a deranged rural farmer becomes a grave robber and murderer after the death of his possessive mother, whose corpse he keeps, among others, as his companion in a decaying farmhouse. So, uh, I have never seen this. I've seen that title uh the poster and the the title treatment is really fucking cool in the poster Mm -hmm. classic like flowy text love it so um it gets an a plus from the font side from me but (laughs) uh yeah this one is definitely i would say uh as far as what i know about ed gein it definitely felt the most influence more so than like the the biggies like psycho and texas chainsaw where people uh, you know, or, or automatically think of Ed Gein. This one is more on the nose, I would say. An older uh, farmer guy who is in love with his mom and possessive, and um, when she passes, he digs her up and keeps the corpse, and then he continues doing that and um, collecting these people. And uh, there's a part where he brings a, a waitress from the bar, a bartender home with him, and uh, she sees the corpses and freaks out, obviously. Um, what yeah. a weirdo. Yeah, it's it was an yeah. interesting movie. It's not something I'm going to throw on again, but um, it's, I'll say starting off, when I, when I started watching it, I didn't love it, and it got better. Yeah. I thought uh, Ezra Cobb was, uh, you know, Robert Blossom was... Uh, pretty pretty uh great lead mm-hmm. oh yeah awesome i think he's great uh definitely unnerving like he just nails it um makes me uncomfortable the whole movie which is what he's supposed to be doing so uh yeah this is a first watch for me like i said it's not i think it's just because of the uh subject matter it's not something i yeah, throw on not often. The it's not the super cheapness of it uh, the that, budget that I adds to it i think yeah, I yeah. think certain parts of it, like I don't, I don't think his uh, the mom's performance is so great. So when she finally dies, I'm okay with it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> watching him throughout it's pretty fascinating. Uh, is it really I, three hours? What? That's no, what that's what like, IMDb no. says. IMDb yeah. is on drugs. What the yeah. hell? I, I, I think it was less than an hour and a half. Yeah, it's like an hour twenty seven yeah. or something like that. Wow. Okay, sorry yeah. to interrupt there. <laughs> no, <laughs> freaked out. No, it's it, that good. You didn't even realize it was I three guess. hours. Yeah. But I uh, I really enjoyed it. What did you guys think? I think that uh, Robert Blossom's performance and just the way he says, you know, yesum and noem, and he's <laughs> yeah, he's that's got where like you got these, it from. He's got like these little touches where he sticks his uh, bottom, you know, <laughs> his yeah, bottom, bottom lip, lip out. out. You know, he's, he's he's always he's like he's he's this perpetual little boy in this like you know middle-aged man and yeah it's just like whenever he sticks his his bottom lip out like that you know because i you know whenever us kids would do that when we were young my my grandmother would always make us laugh she'd say a pigeon's gonna fly by and shit on it yep (laughs) um but uh 
Yeah, it's just he's he's got like these little idiosyncrasies that are just hilarious. I mean, I had I had watched this once, like uh, for the first time, a couple years back, and watching it for the second time for the podcast, I've I, I've liked this movie even even more. Um, just I mean, like when when he's at the bar and he's never drank before and he's trying to you know. <laughs> Getting good with that waitress, and he has one whiskey sour, and then like you show <laughs> how like how be. time was yep. times elapsed, and he drank like five of these, and he is just fucking smoked <laughs> by the end of the night, right? And yeah. you know it's like, Mama, I'm in love. You know, oh man, it's you know, for as disturbing as this movie is, I think it's freaking hilarious. Oh yeah, um, this movie is hysterical, um. And I don't know. It's like if if you miss the comedy in this, uh, I, I feel sorry for you. Uh, but it's it's like it's almost like it reminded me a little bit the way Toby Hooper said. It's like I think a lot of people miss the dark comedy in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first one. So that's why he made like Texas Chainsaw Two just completely over the top. So you would like finally get the humor. Uh, I think this is the perfect mix of disturbing and and humor. You know uh, the way yeah. he he's turning that uh, what is that Victrola <laughs> uh, when he's got like his corpse face on. Just I mean, really, uh-huh. really disturbing. Um, yeah, I I'm a I'm a big, big fan of this, this movie, uh, this, the second time around. Uh, yeah. Could you imagine every time I see it, those who saw it in 1974 that didn't have any, uh, knowledge of, of what happened in Wisconsin, you know, like this movie is probably fucked them up bad. (laughs) Yeah. Stay the fuck out of Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. The look of the corpses, uh, was really cool. Like when you just, I feel like sometimes, especially movies of that era, like when they dig up dead bodies and stuff, they don't look anything realistic. And we get that shot towards the end when the waitress goes back to his place and he has the corpses all sitting around the table and they're rotted and just uh, creepy as shit. It's really cool. Like, I don't know. Pretty gross. Tom Savini. Doesn't surprise me. Like, like his second film. Um, wow. Alan Ormsby, the, the, the writer and director of this movie also was like the head special effects and Savini was his, uh, kind of protege through this movie and, um, a movie called death dream. Um, but I, I feel like, and this is based on Savini's book, grand delusions that Savini kind of took over the, took over the effects work more in deranged. Like he, he was kind of. Uh, Alan's understudy on Death Dream, and then <clears throat> kind of, especially you know, with Alan doing double duty on this movie, um, that I, I feel like Savini took over the effects more. But yeah, those corpses really cut his teeth. Huh? Are for, yeah, those corpses are awesome. I really like the look of the mother when he first digs her up. Just that, like that, that almost porcelain-looking, bluish, grayish tinged skin. Face. It's just so disgusting. Like a dead Smurf. Yeah. 
I got plenty more to say, but I'll let Jason. Not, go. Well, not it's not a typical look of a corpse either, so it's really neat version. No, it's uh, I've seen it before, and it's great. And I mean, who names their kid Roberts? Roberts, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, Mister and Mrs. Blossom? That's where it all started. It must be quite, quite possibly the most disturbing soup scene I've ever seen <laughs> oh, in a film. Bro. So disgusting and hilarious at the same time. Like, <sighs> Brandy was laughing her ass off when he was trying to scoop the blood back into her mouth. What is up? It's warm. It's warm. Eat it. Oh, and he's so like, gross. And he's just going, no, no, no. <laughs> yes. Uh, gonorrhea, syphilis, and death, or what was it? Yep. She kept saying to him, the wages of sin are gonorrhea, syphilis, and death. This is, We had like two syphilis movies, you know, in this, uh, I noticed. Yeah, uh, we should have done a whole episode on syphilis. Yes, yes. That's uh, um, good. The, the clap. Yes, we know you have a lot to say about this. Just just go. Just are you done? Are you done? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm awesome. done. I, 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 I got syphilis in, so I'm ready. I'm done. I'm finished. Andy has syphilis? <laughs> Okay, so here we go. Here's my take Don't on Derange. <laughs> I love, love, love this movie. Um, this w- is probably my favorite Ed Gein story movie. Um, one of my favorite movies of the 70s. Uh, I love this movie. I have a huge history with this movie. I remember when I was discovering, when I first heard about this movie, and was discovering this movie was in the pages of Gore Zone magazine, and it was impossible to find. Like, it was out of print on VHS. It had a very small run on VHS back in the day. And in the late 80s, early 90s, um, Film Threat magazine started their own video line and did and somehow managed to get the rights to this movie and did a release of it. Didn't even get my hands on that before it went out of print. I managed to get a bootleg <laughs> of this uh, from some 16 millimeter print projected uh, version of this movie. We're watching it, the VHS version of this of this rip over and over and over again. By the time they finally released it on DVD by MGM on the the midnight uh, midnight movies two pack with Motel Hell, I That's was. What I got. Yeah, I was shocked to see that the blood was actually red uh, because I had watched the bootleg version over and over again and the blood was brown, which was kind of more disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm 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 with you. I think this this movie is is creepy and disturbing, um, but hilarious. Hilarious. When he is standing there by the truck and his friends telling him that he needs to find a woman and and he brings up the brings up the one woman his mother told him to to look up and and he's like i know i could trust her and his friend's like how do you know you could trust her she's fat she's fat he just keeps (laughs) shouting that it's so funny and just the his looks are just i just i wish he would have starred in more movies he's got a ton of credits and because of this movie i am a roberts blossom fan that i want to find more of his stuff i mean he was in close encounters of third kind he was in christine Home Alone. Um, it was probably one of his bigger roles that he's had. Escape from Alcatraz. He cut his fingers off. Yep. Yep. Escape from Alcatraz. Quick in the Dead. Sam uh, Sam Raimi's Quick in the Dead. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was one of his one of his final films. So um, yeah, I think he's just awesome. It's just a bummer he never got to be the star of other films like this one. Um, but uh, the cheapness of the movie, I mean, it's very it's very low budget, but I think it works on behalf of the film. It really, it really drives home some of the, the, the 
sleaziness and disgustingness of of Ezra's lifestyle after his mom died. Um and you know and I mean yes, it's it's a work of fiction. It is at the at that time up until like maybe the last couple decades when they were doing more more biopics on serial killers and they came out with a couple of decent the one with um um Steve Rails back is is probably the most accurate to the Edgeen story. I I like that one. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Um th- so this one, you know, it doesn't have things like, you know, the 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 stuff about it, his brother and and uh you know, and you know, he kills three people in the in this movie where Edgeen only really killed two. You know, whatever. You know, it's, you know, just it's for the story. It's supposed to, it's still a work of fiction. Um <clears throat> and, but I just I just really really love this movie. Uh um Gosh, what else can I say about it? Um, the the woman who's fat, the heifer, uh, uh, Marion Selby, is played by uh, Marion Waldman, who was uh, Mrs. Mack in the the uh, house mother in the original Black Christmas, uh, which was directed oh, by Bob Clark. Cool. And uh, Bob Clark is an uncredited producer of this movie. Is Bob Clark um, worked a lot with with Alan back in the day, and you're going to learn more about that in Insane's Picks. Um, uh, so when it came time to make this movie, uh, Alan took over in the director's chair, and Bob Clark was producing it. But uh, when Bob Clark saw like how disturbing the content of the movie is and how much comedy they still try to inject into it, he's like, "Yeah, I'll produce it, but I'm not. I don't want my name on it." So. Um, I love the score. I love just the, the whole just um, organ music through the entire thing. Uh, I love the uh, the use of the narrator in this movie. It's so like stage like where he's in the he's like sitting on the end of the bed while you know Robert's Blossom is is grieving over his dead mother or whatever, and you know and and he is not in the scene, but he's there in the scene talking to us, telling us everything that's going on. I love the narrating aspect. I even um, stole that for one of, uh, one of our short films, the, Oh yeah. Where, you know, it starts off on the narrator and then it pans over to the scene. And I just, I just love all those, those moments with the narrator. You do like the narrator stuff. Yeah. Why you don't. I'm unsure. It's It's, a, it's a point of contention. It's cheesy and hokey and weird and like especially the guy because he's very seventies looking, um, but uh, do you but need it? But it's you probably don't need it even. Okay. Um, yeah, and and you know number one rule in filmmaking: show don't tell. Yeah. And the narrator tells us a lot. Yeah, and it was probably thrown in there for budgetary reasons, but I think it's really imaginative. It's something you don't see. Um, probably definitely didn't see at the time. It's not a normal narrator situation. No, no. Yeah. He's physically walks into the scenes. Yeah. And, it, and I also feel like it maybe adds more to that documentary feel to it as well, yeah. mm-hmm. because this guy is like a documentarian talking, you know, you know, a talking head within, within a documentary. So, um, <clears throat> um, Brandy also thought it was really funny in the dinner scene uh, where he was using a human skull to hold uh, the, the, um, the muffins. muffins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, on the wall, just a random arm nailed to the wall. Uh, um, but then again, you know, that was also, you know, Ed Wood. He would, uh, you could say, if you could say anything about Ed Wood, or Ed Wood, Ed Gein. Oh my God. It's close. <laughs> 
if you could say anything about Ed Gein, um, he was not wasteful. He repurposed everything. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, but uh, if you could find this movie, two thumbs up. It's on Prime, so I would highly recommend checking it out. I've got to get the Blu-ray of it, though. I, st- I still desperately need the Blu-ray. Why do you need this in 1080p when it was obviously filmed with someone's video <laughs> camera? Six or seven P. I'll tell you what. I didn't think I needed anything better than that bootleg, but then as soon as I saw that the blood was red, I'm like, oh, okay. You definitely got that, like, Dawn of the Dead, Savini, crayon, like crayon yep, red, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially in the uh, the butcher scene when it when the blood yeah. is hitting the ground. Oh, it's just that it took Savini, it took Savini a while to realize that uh, stage blood does not film blood red like uh, other fake blood. Um, yeah, when and there's the, going down that girl he's gutting. Yeah, yeah, very disturbing shot. Um, him gutting that girl, and then when the when the family and the Police show up and find the the girl hanging in there, just hanging out. Yeah, <laughs> hanging out of her. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so that's deranged. Um, Jason, what's our last film we're going to talk about? The last film we're going to talk about today is from 2013. It is The Sacrament. You guys ready? Watch it. We've been to some of the most chaotic, war-torn places in the world, but never for something as bizarre as this. Here we are. Welcome to Eden Parish. You guys built all this? Father had a vision, and we built heaven here on Earth. Who is Father? He's the guy that started all of this. Can we speak with him at some point? He agreed to sit for an interview tonight at the gathering. It's been pretty amazing. Everyone we've talked to seems to feel that this is everything they ever wanted, and they all credit you for that. Oh, I don't deserve the credit. You come down here, and I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you a job. I'll give you a bed. These people, my family, my children, when you write this up, just know that you're dealing with their lives. Aren't those the guides? What are they doing with guns? You don't know what's really going on here. This place is not what it seems. Hey, what's happening? These people want to leave. They have their suitcases packed. I have no idea what to do. Sam, do not get involved in this. Please take my daughter. What? We can't let them go back to New York. No, this is the last sacrament. Hey! Hey! How many more people can fit in this thing? Take the camera. I want you to film this. It's important. It's funny. Take it. Take it. Take it. Found footage reveals the events surrounding an investigative team's visit to a remote commune led by a dangerous fanatic who maintains the iron an iron grip on his followers. Directed by Ty West. We're all fans of Ty West. Mm-hmm. Screenplay, Ty West and Eli Roth. We're fans of those guys and everyone in the movie. That's right. Yeah, it's a found footage movie. 
and uh, it's it's fucked. I love it. <laughs> I I was I was very entertained. I I dig this film. Is this anybody's yeah. first time watch? My, it, it is mine. I I've been wanting to get around to it, and I'm glad I was actually forced to now. Um, I I was always on my radar because you know it's I I know what it's I know what it's based on, and uh, yeah, really really unnerving shit. Oh yeah, I I love this movie. I think we watched it for a year ender back when it came out back in 2013 and that's the last yep. time I've seen it. Yep. Um so I was really excited at the idea of getting to rewatch it again and and I still really love it. It's an interesting combination though, right? You got Ty West as the director, written by Ty West and Eli Roth, produced by Eli Roth. You couldn't get more opposite ends of the filmmaking spectrum than those two, you know. Mr. Subtle, um Mr. <laughs> you know, Mr. Subtle filmmaker Ty West versus throw everything right in your face, Eli Roth. Uh huh. Yeah. Maybe they helped but it counterbalance worked well. each other. Yeah, it yeah. worked well. It worked well. Um, yeah, just, uh, oh, just, oh, I just hate this movie makes me feel like an AJ Boehm fanboy. No? Anyone else? You should just be. me. Nothing no, wrong with great. that. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's All great. All of them are, Joe Swanberg's great. Yeah, everybody's convincing in the, like, the, the found footage. And, and I, and very split on found footage, but making it like a Vice documentary was just so perfect oh, for yeah. the time period. Like that was right when Vice yeah. was becoming a, a big thing and mm-hmm. made it. I'm surprised, sort of, how they could use a real right. like news source. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's yeah, that yeah, was that, weird. that was wow. Can I ask you guys a question? And maybe because it's the Vice thing, um, it didn't me, but I'm just posing the question. Does the fact that this movie is scored take you out of the found footage reality of it? Because you no, normally I, don't get that with found footage movies. I'm an idiot, so like I don't even. I never once thought about it until now. So uh, okay, I, yeah, not yeah, not until you mentioned it. it. Never really. I guess it didn't really take me out of it because, well, and that's I, a good thing, right? Because well, yeah. you're not really supposed to yeah. notice that stuff. And we're watching a Vice documentary, technically not, you know, so it would be finished and produced, right? That's what I was thinking. That maybe, it, maybe you know, that was why they went with the score. And, and again, I thought the score was great. Even it's just you just don't normally see something. You don't normally get a found footage movie with a score. I think maybe, and and the other half is that uh, the the quality of the camera work was better than shaky shaky cam shit yeah you know like it was yeah. definitely not a, like a steady shaky cam. cam movie so it is it where it needed to be more cinematic yeah. yeah i think it because Which vice is known for is they're like cinematic storytelling through you know yeah. news production like they're known for their high end they can make like the dumbest news story look pretty is sort of what they get yeah. for now i think that helped I was more really impressed by the performances of well, the the the, the sister did a really good job, but the father, yeah. oh Gene yeah, Jones. Gene Jones. Which how oh. weird is that? The guy's name is Gene Jones. Jones, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was and we're so talking, and we're, good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's just the way the way that he the way that he delivered lines the way he kind of the way he kind of moved his lips it was everything that he was saying was very deliberate and very trying to make you calm you know it's just cuz it's just like he and in basically control. What, 
He was yes. always in control in, during yes. all of his uh, speeches. Like yeah, he controlled yeah. that. He controlled that group. He controlled the conversation. He controlled. Yes. He controlled the interview. Yeah, yeah, he will he will twist the narrative into what he wants it to be, which is what a good con man will do. Right. Sort of made me think of some uh some uh politicians that we yeah, deal exactly. with right now where but not knew, quite I knew as it was coming. Yeah. yeah. But definitely it's in a that mental way, yeah. it, it's it's this very mental mind fuck sleight of hand, you know, and it's what makes it even more sleazy, it's just this these these people these people are easy prey because they're very desperate and they're very um, naive you know, and uh, yeah, and they're helpless. looking for answers. They're looking right. for answers, you know, or they're or they're just they're they feel like there's no way out of like addiction or just depression. And here's this guy who's got this gift of gab, and he's using you know. Um, religion as a platform which he's already kind of got like uh sort of one you know uh his foot in the door so to speak with with that angle and then he he just twists it to his narrative to apparently sleep with this the sister that they're trying to find and and it's just ah man what a piece of dog shit uh and that then just watching the the cyanide scene, I mean, it's just like I know that people, you know, this is where the phrase "drinking the Kool Aid" comes from. Yep. Just watch the the one that bothered me the most. I mean, the uh, and I won't and I won't say everything, but the one that bothered me the most was the syringe filled with the cyanide Kool Aid, and they're giving it to the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Ugh. Like, I mean, it just like tears a, your guts out, man. Well, yeah, with a baby, because it's, like, literally helpless. It cannot even defend yeah, itself yeah. or has no chance where everybody else at least is making, for the most part, is making a decision, even if it's a um, heavily influenced and, you know, being lied to and a bad decision for the most part. A baby you think of as the most innocent then cannot, you know, defend itself at all. So. Was, it, was it that one was the the worst or was it what happens to the little girl they were supposed to take with them that one got oh. to me oh yeah or maybe her just uh shooting up her brother and he's flopping around in the chair oh, oh that yeah yeah i was gonna mention that like, one too mom and dad mom and dad love you come on let's just let's just go home mom and and just a one take you. shot and it just hangs on them and it feels like maybe there's a moment where she thinks she realizes what wrong thing she did but she doesn't and just, then just put I, you know I'm watch that scene I put myself in things. I put myself in that in that place where it's like oh my god like the panic that he was going through because he isn't dead yet but he knows he's he knows he's going to be dying from whatever she stuck in him and there's no way out of that situation now for him uh, that was that was a super super intense scene for me. This this is this movie, you know, norm it's got a lot of it's got a lot of tough things to watch in it. And I as I was watching I was just like I don't know what's tougher watching this cinematically or watching this knowing that things just like this happened in Jonestown, Guinea. And it wasn't just like 
75 to 100 people. We're talking over 900 people dead on the ground. Women, children. All because of some crazed religious fanatic. Yeah, cults and religion are two things that scare the shit out of me. And I am not in any way, shape, or form uh, religious. I'm very much an atheist. But, uh, you know... This is exactly why I sort of am against organized religion. <laughs> I'm not saying, and, and I, I want to make it clear too that I'm not saying like all organized religion is a cult like this, you know. Um, but the power to use this for bad is just as scary as it is to use, you know. And it's it's more scary that they can use it for bad than uh, good, because you see like you know some of these other guys that I won't mention names that have like huge mansions and their own private jets and shit. And they're convincing people, you know, to give them money. And it's like, you know, they're not quite killing people with Kool-Aid, but they're just as fucking evil. Maybe I, they got televised Kool-Aid. Maybe I should have just talked to Tina about this instead of bringing it up on a podcast that we're recording, but, uh, she didn't. So we're watching this movie and she doesn't say anything and she, just one time during this whole movie she says something and i think it was around when they shoot the little girl that they're trying to get rid of but mm. and then she's just she says i hate this fucking movie and that's all she says for the whole movie and i'm like well and so like i i've been thinking about it since then and we watched it and i'm like i think yes all the or, all the things you're saying with the kids stuff is the most awful shit in the world and that this happened. But like, uh, and then town was kind of saying there, like, I don't know. Well, Tina's pretty a religious person. And like this movie really isn't nice to those who believe. And so like, I felt bad for that too. Like I didn't, I don't want us to just, I mean, I know we're not shrugging that off, but like, I don't know. It changed way i started thinking about it a little bit that i know this is just pointing out what one person did with this thing that for evil but like the whole movie he's saying good things and and everyone in this commune is saying good things and all god things that are good and yet this bad stuff happened and i don't know i just i, I felt bad and i didn't know how to feel about it and like i don't want to just bash religion because you know it works for a lot of people and it's right i'm happy for that you know well yeah beware of false prophets prophets because i think some of the worst predators in the world are the ones that are wearing you know either well a badges or clerical collars so maybe it sucks that this movie gives religion a bad name i guess i don't know (sighs) just that he uses it for bad i guess i don't think it was you know I yeah. I totally see what you're saying. I totally right, and I probably should have just talked to Tina about this instead of bringing it up. But <laughs> sorry, Tina. Um, you know, I don't yeah. I don't think that was the filmmaker's intent to make you question yeah. your belief or question your religion or anything like that. It 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 feels more like an actual document of this one particular bad scenario. And unfortunately, there's there's definitely dramatized in the media more bad scenarios concerning cults and religions than good scenarios. Yeah. And and when it comes down to it, like, yeah, the things they were saying made sense. Things that they were saying and that the father was preaching made sense. And it would I and it looks like it could work. 
not for me because um, there was no televisions. Right. It um, just sucks that it also came along with some of the worst things that ever happened to humanity with these poor kids. I think the, things, the big know? turning point in why this didn't work was, again, the one man, the um, the um, father. father. And that scene where you are kind of seeing a little bit what's going on behind closed doors. There's obviously some, you know, obviously this, the, the, the sister who's came here because to be clean and have this clean life, obviously is fucked up on something. And Mm -hmm. then obviously is going behind closed doors with the father. So, you know, there's a darker agenda of the father. I don't know, but I also don't know. I think, um, there was a, some of it, you know, a lot of it that he believed in, in himself. I don't, you know. Or else, how did it? Why did it end up the way it ended up? I'll tell you what, though, it got as intense as fuck once shit started hitting the oh, yeah. fan. Oh my oh, gosh, yeah. that's when the literally uh, found the footage next day was yeah. Literally the, when the sun came up. Oh, the, my. yeah. When but when the girl handed him that note and he opened it, oh, my, but just it just sucked. made my arm hair stand up. It just like oh shit. You're just yeah. waiting for it, and the yeah. inter- interview with father sort of uh, gets more and more tense when he starts sort of turning it around uh-huh. on them, and he's like, this is what the media wants, guys, and t- you yeah. know, uh, making them out to be the villains for asking mm-hmm. questions, and uh, you know, I, I would say it's more so, this is more so a look of um, cultism than it is religion, because there's sure. organized religion exactly. that is it's... very different from cults, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Oof. Whatever I mean, I mean, the, the red flag is, you know, yeah. when all these people are just around calling him, you know, father, you know, blindly that, following. What, yeah. 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 But, you know, and just they, you know, they're not allowed to question anything. Yeah, just we yeah, can't for, we can't forget, though, you're talking about Eli Roth and on the different spectrum, uh, his it, Ty West directed Cabin Fever 2, and that is like (laughs) extremely over the top, gory, and disgusting. So (laughs) it does make sense to me. Like, I I, I can't believe. At the same time, Ty West has denounced that film. (laughs) He hates that. He got his name off of it, but not so much because of the gore, um, just because of some of the stuff that the studio wanted. But it's a shame because he was like my dude for a long time and he was coming up. And the last thing he did was, you know, four or five years ago now with in a Valley of violence. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's been doing a lot of TV work since then, but it's like, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I felt like he was on a long run of making fantastic films that I loved. And I hope he gets back to that instead of, you know, doing TV. I, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. Felt the same way. And ask what everyone's favorite was. Yeah, I mean, House House of the Devil was yes. my jam, man. I love that film. That's a tough one. I I want to say House of the Devil, but I also do really like Innkeepers. 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 Yeah, yeah, me too, a lot. And I really love this one too. So I don't know. Right, it's, kind of it's really tough too. I I would probably still say House of the Devil is my favorite, but I'm also a it's Cabin a Fever Two it. stan. Like I, I just, <laughs> we 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 I did know. Cabin Fever Two on the show, and I. Uh, just gushed about how much I loved it, so I probably watched that one more than the original. Man, I, mm, I don't know. I keep trying with that one, and 
I want to see his cut of it, like if they gave him the footage. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we're never gonna see that because it was a studio thing and whatever. Yeah. I I have owned In a Valley of Violence for like five years on Blu-ray, and I've never watched it. Sorry, Ty West. Uh, I just it needs <laughs> to be. Listen. Yeah, it needs to be one of those uh, unwrapped ones, but it's not a horror. I think it's a western with um, yeah. Travolta. Yeah, I want to say one more thing about. Gene Jones and his performance, because not only was he convincing as hell and was awesome in the role, but like, yeah, you know, I read I read on IMDb that that big interview scene they um they did it in like one take and it's like a seventeen minute Ooh, dialogue really? scene, yeah. So wow. like, wow, and it flowed. It was just it just felt so natural. The way totally natural, yeah, yeah. Only and also um, learned that a couple of retired Harlem Globetrotters played background roles in the movie. So sold. I love the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> Where was Curly? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I want Curly in there. <laughs> he was always my favorite too. <clears throat> so, what else has Gene Jones done? Like, I didn't oh, recognize yeah. him. He doesn't have a ton of credits. Um, I had him up here just a second ago. God, oh, he was in Hateful Eight. He was in No Country oh. for Old Men. This guy's got some fucking bangers on his list, though. Oh, yeah, he does, yeah. Bug. Bug. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. We got to figure out a, a we gotta figure out an episode to rewatch Bug. He's on Chappelle's show. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. So, yes, uh, the Sacrament again, another highly recommended Ooh. one. Um, but and that concludes our film discussion on <clears throat> the show. But we still have more Attack of the Killer podcast to come because we're gonna take a, we're gonna take a quick break so you can learn about the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. That's right, our very own podcast network that continues to grow and grow like the fungus in your toenail. Um, <laughs> and with uh. Bunch of shows now. Yeah, like even a brand new true crime show. That's right, called Live, Laugh, Kill. (laughs) It's good. With um, Colby Keefe. Uh huh. And his wife. It's a very awesome, and you know, speaking of true crime, you know, it's a true crime podcast. So give it a listen. You can check it out at thepfbn.com. So why don't you uh, listen about the podcast network here real quick, and when we come back, it'll be segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we are back. It is time for the segments portion of the show. Starting off, as we always do, with Jason and giving us some shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! 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 Okay, let's start over on our Facebook page. We just asked 
you know what your favorite true crime horror movies were and we got some answers we got brian clark starting her off he says the loopy ass zodiac killer from 1971 is one of if not the only serial killer movie to have the dubious honor of coming out while the killer was still active that's awesome Exploitation movies based on a real event or cultural phenomenon are often said to be released before the ink on the headlines is dry, but these guys didn't even wait until the headlines were printed. Also, probably the only serial killer movie to spend a not insignificant amount of time on showing the killer playing with his pet bunnies who command him to kill during the cheapest satanic ritual ever committed to film. (laughs) And we got... Terry Turford. She says the town that dreaded sundown original and remake are both great. Yes. Heck yeah. And then she says, also Mm -hmm. I could go down a rabbit hole of true crime documentaries, but while those are truly horrifying, they aren't really horror movies. Agreed. I am fortunately not one of those who are addicted to all of the true crime shows. (laughs) You're not like I dig them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Tina too. It's all, it's all day. It's crazy. It's awesome. You should watch some. We got Jason Zbornik says, Henry. Yeah. And and anything involving cults, which is a lot. And then we got our pal, the Reebster, Mike Reeb. He says, the town that dreaded sundown and the deliberate stranger with Mark Harmon as Ted Ah. Bundy. Whoa. I don't know. Both of these movies have scenes from, have stuck with me for decades. Uh, Mark Harmon's awesome. Yeah. Summer school. Yeah. Exactly. So you haven't seen it, Mike? No, I didn't even, I've never even heard of it. It's been, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah. But I will definitely have to check it out because Mark Harmon rules. So does summer school. I'm just going to keep talking about summer school. Chainsaw, (laughs) Dave, man. (laughs) What's that guy's name? Cool. Thanks for stalling. I had uh... (laughs) to. Heck with time getting over here. And then over on our Facebook. Cameron, by the way. Yes. And our Facebook group, group edition. Hey, Brian Clark's back. Hey. He says, The Mad Butcher, 1971, starring Victor Bruno. Buono. Buono. Who was also King Tut in the 1966 Batman series. It's a black comedy based partially on the cases of two German cannibal serial killers, Carl Dinky and Fritz Harman, who sometimes dispose of their victims via a butcher shop. Seen that, Mike? No, I'm familiar with it, but I've never actually seen it. Figures. And then, it's not supposed to be. I don't know. And then, lastly, over there, we got our attacker, Peter Parker. Not, not Spider Man. Spider Man. He says, an American crime from 2007. I don't know what that is. Oh, I don't, I don't know. That's one that. of them weird German movies is. <laughs> with, the, with the title American in it. Right. Which yeah, we haven't figures. seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got me, Andy. Thanks. Uh, and then uh, nothing on Instagram, but over on Twitter, uh, we have attacker Chris Cook at Counting Cook says, I'm not sure if many will consider consider it horror but seven really messed me up i was wondering if seven seven would get brought up well it just did thanks chris he says i mean i may have watched it a little young 
And I've always been on the side of arguing that it is both a crime drama and horror film. What do you guys think? Horror. I yeah, can't say horror. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'd say it's I'd say horror. I mean, nasty just, film, man. Yeah. Yep. Um, you ain't gonna see I that have, on Lifetime. No. I have uh, two two suggestions. I mean, it's the not. Mentions? Well, it, it's it's a crime film. It's a true crime film, but. Uh, Wonderland with Val Kilmer because the murders that took place right. in right. you can see like the LA oh, yeah. true crime footage on YouTube and it's 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 nasty. They say John might have been involved, you know, but I mean, granted he did have a Louisville slugger hanging between his legs, so I right. mean, oh. you probably beat him to death with that. Yeah, it's a good movie though. Um yeah, it's a great movie. Um, another one that I want to mention because it actually ties into serial killing. Uh, did you ever see the, uh, made for TV special called, I know my first name is Steven. Nope. Uh, -uh. long story short, it's a kid that gets abducted in the early seventies and this guy holds him hostage for seven years. And basically he's this, this kid is this guy's sex slave. And um, he brings another six-year-old kid in while he's still with this guy. And all the time, his, his parents are looking for him. And he sees this six-year-old kid get brought in. And he says, I can't let this kid, you know, what happened to me happen to this kid. And he, and he runs off. And that's the first thing he says to these police officers. I know my first name is Steven. I've been called wow. Dennis for seven years. <laughs> Long story, you know, trying to make this quick. Um, basically, the guy gets caught. He goes to trial. None of this sexual molestation stuff is mentioned, and he gets out after seven years. Naturally, this guy tries to do it again, and he dies, he dies in jail. Steven, you know, uh, he has very lo a lot of trouble in life, and he gets killed in a motorcycle accident. But that's neither here nor there. But yeah, the guy that did it to him should, you know, hopefully he's in hell right now, being forced to tongue fuck Satan's shit pipe. But um, <laughs> you paint the prettiest of pictures. Yeah, right. But but here's here's the here's 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 the weird thing how it ties around. As big as a hero, Stephen was. His brother ended up being a real piece of shit because he killed three women and he let them burn in a car in Yosemite. Whoa. How's that for being part of a family? Jesus. Yeah, it's like the Stainer family. I know my first name is Steven. You can order the DVD on the Warner archives. I remember watching it with my mm. mother and the part where he's running away with the little kid and he's six years old and he sees this car coming over the hill and he just goes oh my god that's him he's gonna come and get us i was ready to wet my freaking pants oh, yeah. it's it's still scary because you just think you know okay we're gonna get away we're gonna get away and then here he comes he's, he's supposed and they and they hide and he drives by oh. but yeah i know my first name is steven so if you want a movie to like you know freak out the like inner child in you yeah watch that any other honorable mentions fellas Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. No, oh, man, I, I didn't put any thought in honorable mentions, but I could probably go on for hours. <clears throat> yeah. Well, all right. Um, and remember that uh, you still have time. You can leave us a voicemail, and we'll put that on the show. You can give us a call at 
857-945-8857. That's 415-95-AOTKP. Leave us a voicemail. We'll put you on the show. And that's shout outs. We have a new segment here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. It's time to close your eyes and sit back and listen, listen to the theater of your mind with recasting with Christian Slater. Salutations, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Recasting with Christian Slater, me. Now, today we're going to bring bring to the table four thespians of the highest caliber. We're going to be re-saying a scene from Rob Zombie's magnum opus Halloween, remade from the immortal classic from 1978. Let's welcome our guest. Playing the role of Ronnie White is Don Knotts. Well, thank you for having me, Christian. Fuck Andy Griffith. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's very colorful, Don. Thank you. Playing the role of Deborah Myers, direct from Eternia, coming down from Snake Mountain, is Skeletor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm here. Wait, wait, what? De De Deborah Myers? What? Moving on. Um, Playing the role of Judith Myers is former Playboy playmate Anna Nicole Smith. Uh, I was told there's gonna be snacks. Outstanding. And playing the role of Mike Myers is has needs no introduction. He's he's a legend in the horror business. Peter LeRae, everybody. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Well, let's just start moving along. I'll be reading the um uh, the uh the uh descriptions. And we start with uh, interior, Meyer's house, kitchen, morning, continuous. A clamped, cluttered mess of dirty dishes, overflowing garbage cans, and junk cluttered counters. In the back room, an AM radio blares, Frampton comes alive. Ronnie. Why don't you tell me to do it again? Standing over the stove, sta scrambling eggs, is Deborah Myers, 36. An attractive, dark-haired woman who looks far too young to be the mother of three children. Deborah. Again with this. Jesus! You know I can't go. I have to dance the late shift. We need money. Or haven't you noticed? What part of that can't you get through your fucking skull? 
Sitting at the kitchen table waiting for breakfast, we find Deborah's current abusive loser boyfriend, Ronnie White, 48, a long-haired grease monkey with a broken left arm and a heavily bandaged right hand. Hey! Don't you disrespect me! <laughs> oh, fuck off! Oh, really? Fuck off! How's this? Did I mention that that new waitress over at Bingo's Lounge keeps giving me the look? I guess I'll just go after make my own fun tonight. <laughs> what the horror with the big ass saggy monkey tits hanging down to her knees? <laughs> hey, be my guest. Jump on him and slap him around. Next to Ronnie in the high chair is a baby nicknamed Boo. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll fuck the shit out of her. <laughs> well, have a good fucking time. I will. The baby starts to cry. Oh, nice. See what you did, you fucking loudmouth. Deborah picks up the baby. Come on now, boo. Where? Where? All that fucker does is cry. Where? Where? Crying shit. Crying shit. Hey, newsflash. That's what babies fucking do. Crying shit. All you do is crying shit. A teenage girl enters. Judith Myers, 16. She is dressed inappropriately for school in denim short shorts and a tube top. Ronnie checks her up and down. I don't want <laughs> Judith begins pouring herself a bowl of cereal. Since when? Since now, there's chicken abortion. No, they're not. What are they then? I don't know. They're eggs. Can you please get your brother? Michael. Jesus! I could do that. Don't scream. Go upstairs and get him. Judith walks out of the room, careful to flash her ass at Ronnie. That bitch has got a nice little dumper. What did you say? Oh, look who's jealous. Afraid of your own daughter's ass. Deborah throws a spatula of eggs at Ronnie. Fucking pig. Ronnie pauses, looks at the eggs on his shirt, smiles, and swings his arm, knocking everything off the table. Clean it up! Interior, Meyer's house. Kitchen, morning, continuous. Deborah is picking up breakfast off the floor. The sound of upstairs commotion filters down to the kitchen. Jesus Christ, what the hell is going on up there? Michael, what are you screaming about? That little freak needs some serious discipline. He's like a little bitch. You keep your hands off him. He's a sensitive kid. Oh, give me a fucking break. He's probably a queer. Watch, I bet he grows up and cuts his balls and cuts off his balls and changes his name to Michelle. You know, he's still upset about another one of those cats running away. Judith saunters into the kitchen with a shit-in grin on her face and takes her place at the table. 
Michael follows behind, still wearing his mask. Before sitting down at the table, Michael kisses the baby on the head. Hey, boo. Ronnie grabs the mask off of Michael's face. Take that stupid thing off. Jesus, you annoy me. Michael shoots Ronnie a dirty look. I hit you. Ron Ronnie holds up his arm. You see this? Yeah. When this heals, I'm going to break it again across your fucking face. And scene. Join us next time for another episode of Recasting with Christian Slater. Next up on the, on the Attack of the Killer podcast is Insane Mike's Picks. See you next time. <laughs> I thank you, Christian. <laughs> Yay. It's going to be a great segment. I know it. And I have to follow that. So continuing on with my inducting people into the Insane's Picks Hall of Fame. It's a triple threat this time. Going along with a movie that we've already talked about on this show this evening. Um, I'm inducting the... The collaboration between Bob Clark, Jeff Gillen, and Alan Ormsby. Um, through their collaboration in the 1970s, they gave me some of my favorite films to come out of that era, including Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, Death Dream, Deranged, and Black Christmas. Alan Ormsby, writer, director, and makeup artist, uh, started out as a drama student at the University of Florida where he first met Bob Clark. Uh, they first collaborated on a tongue-in-cheek, low-budget zombie flick and one of my favorites, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, in 1972. Alan Ornsby co-wrote the script and did a, a very effective job on a zero budget with doing all of the zombie makeup effects. Some of my favorite looks of zombies come from this movie. Not only that, but he also played the part of Alan, the arrogant, obnoxious theater group leader. Jeff Gillen played Jeff, the lovable smartass of the theater troupe, and the part of Anya was played by Ormsby's own then-wife, Anya Liffley. Liffy? Liffy. We're going to go with that. Orms <laughs> Ormsby... Gillen and Clark's next film together was the movie Death Dream in 1974, a.k.a. Dead of Night, a Vietnam-era variation on the monkey's paw story. Bob Clark directed, Jeff Gillen was assistant director, and Alan Ormsby was writer and did the special effects in the movie. Both Jeff and Alan appear in the film, as well as Anya, Alan's wife, who played the young sister Kathy. Next up for Ormsby was the film we discussed on the show, Deranged Confessions of a Necrophile, in 1974, uh, he, which he co-wrote and co-directed with Jeff Gillen. Uh, Alan also handled the makeup effects chores, along with then-unknown Tom Savini, who also worked with Ormsby on Death Dream. Uh, Bob Clark's role in this film was only a producer, but his name was taken off the film due to the dark subject matter mixed with the twisted comedy. Bob Clark would go on to make another one of my favorite horror films from the 1970s, Black Christmas, 
But alas, without Alan or Jeff. Black Christmas was released in 1974, the same year as Deranged. So it may have been that both productions were going on at the same time, why neither were highly involved with the other's films. Um, oddly enough, 1974 was also the release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the same year. Well, another movie that was influenced by Ed Gein released the same year as Deranged. And then everybody always talks about how Black Christmas was the was the first slasher before Halloween, and Halloween was influenced by it, blah, 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 whatever. Allen would also have other contributions to horror outside of working with Bob Clark. He wrote the screenplay for the 1982 remake of The Cat People. Uh, he did zombie makeup for the underwater Nazi zombie film classic Shockwaves from 1977 and would later go on to co-write and co-direct the 1991 film Popcorn, although ha- wow. he has gone uncredited uh, in the movie. Alan's own son, Ethan, is even in the film Popcorn as the two-headed moviegoer. Bob Clark was also a producer on Popcorn, and I thought... This was going to be the big horror reunion of Alan and Bob when I first read about it back in the day in Fangoria magazine. But alas, not so much as Alan was replaced as director three weeks into shooting and Bob Clark took his name off the film as well. All three of them would work together in 1983 on Porky's 2 the next day, which Bob directed. Alan co-wrote the script and Jeff was second unit coordinator. Of course, Bob Clark would go down in history as the director of A Christmas Story, where he brought his old friend Jeff Gillen back one more time, this time playing the store Santa Claus. Now, unfortunately, Jeff Gillen passed away from a heart attack in 1991, and then Bob died in 2007 in a car accident. Luckily, we still have Alan Ormsby uh, with us, and maybe one day we'll get him to reprise his role from Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Only if polyester suits make a comeback... Here's hoping. So that's my Insanes inductees into the Insanes Picks Hall of Fame for this episode. The triple threat of Bob Clark, Jeff Gillen, and Alan Ormsby. Perfect timing on that induction. That's weird how that worked out. Yep. So that's it, folks. That is the end of the episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you had fun with this one, even though we went a bit dark here and there. Throughout the episode, great way to kick off it's a, a new, new year. year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but it'll it'll just it'll get better. It'll get better. Um, thanks again for listening. Thanks to the attackers out there who are making the show happen, making it possible. If it wasn't for you guys, you know who knows where we would be right now. We'd probably be in um, dark alleys somewhere. Um, you know, hooking for nickels, <laughs> just like in From Hell. <laughs> Oh, right, that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Bye-bye. Oh, no, could this be the end of? (laughs) Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Hey, it's Jason. Show's over. I, I got this message from Insane Mike. Uh, 
he, he didn't have the heart to come and tell you guys this himself. He he needs your help, and he's a he's a fragile guy. He needs you to know that you're behind him and you're on his side. So look, he, he wanted me to come and say a few words at the end of the show here. So first, thanks for listening. Second, thanks for subscribing. And third, head over to jointheattackers.com and find out how you can support Insane Mike and become an attacker today.